Welcome to the Mad Ones. I'm your has a degree in biblical studies, but don't you dare call me an expert host, Cam Harless. And with me, as always, is your could beat up a medieval king hostess, Miss Jessica Green. <laughs> I'll have you know, I voted no in that poll. I, I I put a poll on Twitter to see whether people <laughs> thought that they could beat up a medieval king. I just was curious if people thought that they could do it. 60% of you believe you could beat up a medieval king, and I am worried about y'all. I could beat up at be least only... three. At least three. It depends entirely on the king. So that's <laughs> that's a primary. If there was a whole big discussion that evolved from it. It was delightfully internet-esque, and I had a good time. So thanks for that. <laughs> well, uh for the rest of you, uh, just so you know, this show is 100% brought to you by fans and patrons. So hit like, subscribe, share the show with your friends. We've covered all sorts of topics and should just share them with someone who might gain something from those episodes. Also, if you want a, an occasional early episode, a bonus episode, a Zoom hangout, and my eternal gratitude, you can go to patreon.com slash the mad ones. And if you want, you can grab a shirt. I have a new shirt out from last week with my, my whole deal with being on Tucker Carlson and and getting uh, journalists fired. Uh, so there's a new shirt there that you should check out. I think you'll like it. Um, <laughs> uh, we are the madones.com slash store. Uh, but I'm ready to bring on our guest because I have had, I've wanted to have this conversation since January and I'm very happy to have it. Uh, so coming on the show now is the man who wrote the book on the King James Version. He's an author, the other editor of Bible Study Magazine, a podcaster, a YouTuber, and a very smart guy. He's coming to talk to us about the Bible, translations, and how we need to be able to read scripture if we want to understand it. Uh, so joining us now is Dr. Mark Ward. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm feeling delightfully internet-esque. <laughs> <laughs> Internet esque is nice. <laughs> that can mean so many things, though. So, <laughs> so the reason I had you on is it, it was so funny because I sent you a message on Twitter, and I was like, "Hey, I saw you on TikTok, and uh, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the King James version, Bible translations, etc." And you were like, "Wait a second, I was on TikTok," <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah." yeah. And so. He... <laughs> Somebody did an excerpt. I'm I'm hoping sort of slash planning to go on TikTok for Logos Bible Software. I'm in the offices of Logos right now. Uh, so I wasn't aware that I was already on there. Thank you for tipping me <laughs> off. You're welcome. But it was it was funny. I think the name of the show was Recovering Fundamentalists or something like that. Yeah, the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, the RFP. Um, but yeah, they were talking about how they grew up King James only. And uh, you said you had as well, um, although yours was less, um, I would say, damaging and extreme than their experience right. was. Right. Uh, but I was sitting there listening to you talk and I was just like, I first off, I love the way this guy speaks. And secondly, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. And then I saw that you had the book and uh my friend Andy yesterday told me, you know, it's it's not like most people when they have someone on their show to actually read the book beforehand. Uh, so I'm really excited to say I did read your book and finished it yesterday. So it's fresh in the mind. <laughs> it, it is short, right? I mean, that yeah. was a purpose of mine in writing the book. So hopefully I made your life easier there. Oh, oh, absolutely. I loved it that um, when I, because I read on Kindles or, or on my iPad with the Kindle app because I have five children and finding time to read outside of laying in bed is impossible. 
Um, and so I, I, when I was, was reading it and I was seeing that percentage go down so fast, I was like, heck yeah, dude, you did this. You made it short. <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled with this. Um, but the reason that I wanted to talk to you about this since January is we had our friend Ryan on. And we were talking about how uh, versions of the Bible are copyrighted. And so that means that, you know, you have to get licenses or permission to even write those scriptures and in, into a book you write. Uh, I think he had said sometimes even um, using them in um, sermons, you need to get permission, stuff like that. And so that was kind of the basis of the conversation. But in the middle of the conversation, he started talking about essentially um, – textual criticism. So he he isn't King James only, which I find so I, I find King James onlyism so fascinating because I didn't I wasn't raised that way. You know, I, I grew up reading I did read the new King James version. That's how I memorized Bible verses. Um and but a lot of times it was NIV and you know I I, I like to read the NLT for daily reading for edification. You know, I have you know all these different things and I almost never read King James version. Um, but in this conversation, he was talking about how um, the King James Version is translated from the Textus Receptus, and which Erasmus put together, I, I believe, um, and that this was the text to go to um, because everyone else used a, a manuscript, some manuscripts from an Alexandrian source that was that westcott and hort put together and that they're missing bible verses that uh, the received text is the one that everyone had all throughout history and that's why we need to trust this over uh say the niv who uses westcott and hort text and so i was like this is not what i learned when i was in bible school this is not kind of because you know essentially when you talk to professors and people that are trying to teach you how to do hermeneutics and stuff like that they're like yes i love I, I love the beauty of the King, King James version, and usually they hated the in, the New King James version because it they would the the quote would be they used uh, poorer texts but got rid of the beautiful language, and so that was what I knew. And so as I was sitting there, I respect the heck out of my friend uh, Ryan, but I was like, this isn't what I know, and I do I don't have all of the understanding that I need to kind of flesh this out. But I did want to bring you on. Sorry for this monologue. Oh, my gosh, yeah, I'm no just problem. monologuing. <laughs> um, but I did want to bring you on, and I do want to talk about those things. Um, but having read your book, Authorized, which there are links in the description if you want to, to grab a copy of that. I did Kindle for people like me and a uh, physical version for the dinosaurs. Um, but <laughs> uh, you were talking about how important it is that the Bible be readable and in vernacular English. And I kind of want to let, I would love to start there. I would love to start in this place uh, of your position on the Bible being translated into our own language. Yeah, that's great. Can I make a quick comment about copyright just real quick and Absolutely. then move on to that question? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, just everybody go ahead and pull out your Bible and look in the frontispiece, you know, like the copyrights page, and you'll see on nearly all major modern evangelical English Bible translations, which are the ones I focus on, NIV, New King James, New American Standard Bible, the uh, New Living Translation, the English Standard Version, the Net Bible. Let me actually leave the net out for a second, but the others that I mentioned, they'll say something like, you can quote up to 500 verses without 
in, in your book or okay. you know resource without asking permission as long as those verses don't constitute more than 25 percent of the work so yes there are copyright restrictions in my opinion that's just as the king james says the laborer is worthy of his hire meaning that if somebody goes to all the trouble and frankly great expense to get scholars together for multiple meetings over many years to pay for their sandwiches to pay for the printing and binding to pay for the editorial and the typesetting and the designing and the marketing um, then they have the right to the fruits of that labor. Um, mm -hmm. My main translation, you know, if, if you put a gun to my head, the one I use the most often because, well, I could get into the reasons later, but is the ESV. <laughs> and um, they're a nonprofit. They're not in it for the money. I know some of them personally, and I know their heart. That's just not the case. So the, copy, the copyright argument, I, I've done a video about it on my YouTube channel. I, I think it, it fails. Um, but you ask uh, about readability. <clears throat> Let me uh, try to tackle kind of like all the rest of the stuff that you said through the readability angle. Okay. Um, uh, I'm going to get into this in a weird way. It'll, it'll make sense in a minute. I did my <laughs> dissertation on Paul's positive religious affections. And um, I focused a lot on the word, the Greek word agape. What does that word, you know, commonly known among evangelical Christians, at least to mean love in the New Testament? It's actually in the Septuagint also. Um, what, what does that word mean? And a lot of people love to pile a lot of theology on top of that word mm -hmm. and say that the word agape is a willed selfless love that is, you know, regardless of how you feel, making acts of self-sacrifice for others. So they'll say agape love is a verb. You know, it's an action, not a feeling. And I collected tons of quotes from people saying this, serious people, not so serious people. I even went beyond the bounds of Christianity to find people saying this. And this is really important, right? Because the Bible, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two most important commandments. So if love is all this stuff, willed self-sacrifice for the good of another, regardless of how you feel, um, then it's really important that we get this right, right? But I asked this question, where does the Bible tell me in a sentence, in a paragraph, in a story, that love is an act of self-sacrifice that you will regardless of how you feel? I can't think of any place. I can think of places where love issues in self-sacrifice, preeminently Jesus himself on the cross. Mm -hmm. You know, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But I don't have a sentence telling me all the stuff that people are saying that agape means. And I want to tell Bible readers, and I'm a Protestant, I'm an evangelical, you know, Bible reading is, you know, kind of one of our sacraments, as it were. Uh, individual lay Bible reading is something we strongly encourage. That's why I work for Logos Bible Software and edit Bible Study Magazine. I want to ask you out there, you're confused by textual criticism and all this stuff about the King James and the Texas Receptus and, you know, which Greek New Testament should we use? What does the Bible say? Where does the Bible tell you that if there are differences among Greek New Testament manuscripts that have passed down through the centuries, and there are, you know, because before printing, they all had to be hand copied. Where does the Bible tell us how to adjudicate these differences, how to resolve them? Does it warn us to make sure that we use the pure text and not the corrupt and impure text? Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't say that. There's no direction whatsoever. But what does the Bible say clearly? And I love to turn to 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul is addressing a specific situation. The Corinthians are using their gifts of tongues in church. And whether you believe that gift continues or not, no matter, he goes to the principle that he applies to that situation. They're using untranslated tongues. So other people are sitting there not able to understand. And he says, no, no, no. 
edification requires intelligibility. In fact, I've got a sign. Here's my edification requires intelligibility sign. I just had to hold that up. I made that on my friend's Glowforge. So and you actually use, you mentioned t-shirts. You can get a t-shirt on my Patreon page with this on it if you want to um, join my uh, Patreon supporters. No, he says that if you're going to build people up, you have to use words they can understand. And yeah. yes, he applies that to tongues, but I think the principle has to apply elsewhere. The King James translators themselves in their preface written by Miles Smith, uh, one of the translators, but representing all of the translators, they appeal to 1 Corinthians 14 as a reason for translation. So I say, you know what? I actually, I have to have room to disagree about which is the best edition of the Greek New Testament. I can talk intelligently about that, um, but I'd rather really not talk about it with most people um, yeah. uh, in the King James only debate because I don't want to talk about what's unclear and difficult and indeed written in a language most people can't read. Most right. of the people who want to argue with me can't read Greek. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk about what the Bible says that's clear. Right. Mm -hmm. That makes that's a lot of sense. That's very interesting, this idea of edification requires um, legibility. Int intelligibility. Intelligibility, <laughs> intelligibility okay. That would help, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought... I needed you to hold that weapon up because I was writing it. By the time I got to the third word, I was like, ooh. Uh, but I think yeah. that's a really interesting idea. Um, we had discussed earlier that I'm actually Greek Orthodox or Eastern Orthodox. I'm technically Antiochian, but that's how most people identify it. So that's yeah. what I've taken to saying lately. I'm not Greek, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the idea behind the icons, I think, is that a lot of people for most of human history up until about 500 years ago didn't know how to read. And so you had to communicate stories in a way that like spoke to people. And when in a world where you can look at an image and translate that image into a story, it is very um, pertinent to the idea of, uh, I guess, legibility, like, or um, I'm sorry, I didn't, intelligibility, right? Yeah. Being able to like really absorb the content. And so I do think that that's a very important idea, especially when you look at something like King James Version, it does come in that old English. That's pretty un, un understandable. Most of us had a brief touching experience with it when we read Romeo and Juliet during high school, and that was the end of it. And so now this book is set in front of us, or maybe has been since we were children, written in Romeo and Juliet language. And it's, you know, you're talking about going even further back into Greek. Yeah, you've lost the average person that you're talking to. I, you know, not to speak for the average person here, but I, I'm average enough to say so that for me, that's a huge sticking point. I don't, I can barely pronounce Greek words when I'm looking at them. I, I don't, as an English speak, speaker, even understand how a single Greek word can mean 15 different things. It's a world apart from me. So you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. Now I grew up on the King James version and I did come as an, you know, average kid to understand it. Okay. But the problem I discovered over time was that I didn't understand it as well as I thought I did. Mm -hmm. And another problem came over time that I actually love the Lord and I love the Bible and I love to share the gospel with people. And especially when I was younger, somehow it was easier. People were more willing to listen than they are to a 41-year-old mm -hmm. adult male. Uh, and I talked to many people as a young man uh, on the streets in Greenville, South Carolina, on doorsteps. I used to knock on doors with my church every single Sunday to invite people to church, to talk to them about the gospel. I was an outreach pastor. 
um, unpaid for what it's worth and spent many years uh, trying to reach out to sort of the down, down and out, you know, wrong side of the tracks portion of Greenville, South Carolina. I absolutely loved it. And I learned very quickly and, and whether I was talking to the more middle class or even, you know, highly educated folks that I would run into on the street in a really nice part of Greenville or the not so educated folks who turned out were functionally illiterate in the not so nice parts of Greenville, um, they all struggled with the King James. And I would mm -hmm. see their eyes glaze over if if I or later on, because I fairly quickly stopped quoting the King James to them, there was no point, I would start to translate it for them on the fly. Um, right. But I would go out with younger partners and knock on doors. I remember this one guy, I still remember his name uh, 20 years ago, and he starts quoting the King James, rattling off these memory verses to this woman on the back of a really nasty place who looked like she just got out over a hangover. And I just thought, why bother? None of this is entering her mind. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it became really important to me that uh, this principle is not just some theological, you know, postulate that we have to write down on our doctrinal statements. It means that when we're talking to people, we need to try to love them enough to speak to them in words that they can understand. And unless we're going to say that God inspired the original Hebrew and Greek to be unintelligible, then and if that were the case, then the, then a good English translation would be unintelligible. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. think Christians are willing to say that. No, God spoke to us in words we can understand. Doesn't mean it's all easy to understand. Doesn't mean there's no work involved. But I want to key our English translations in Spanish and Urdu and French and Japanese and whatever. I want to key it to the level of intelligibility and difficulty that's actually in the originals. And the King James did that for its day. It was mm -hmm. an excellent translation into an English that nobody speaks or writes anymore. Mm -hmm. That's what was so interesting about reading your book is you, you mentioned that the moment in Romeo and Juliet, wh the wherefore art thou Romeo, which I didn't learn meant why are you Romeo until right. I was uh, nearly an adult because I, I, I didn't take a class on it. I just read that and I was like, oh, where are you? It is where right. my brain went. And so the, the concept that you brought forth in the book was the idea of false friends. And I found that absolutely fascinating. Could you go into some of that for me? Sure. You know, I grew up in the King James only world and I, I have to say, this is, this is really sincere from my heart. I'm grateful to them. They did me very much good. And the best thing they did for me was to tell me, read your Bible. We used to sing, read your Bible, pray every day, yep. pray every day. <laughs> and, and you'll grow, 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 grow. And, you know, I heard that and I believed it. And so did my teachers and the, you know, the King James only, strongly King James only pastors and teachers that I came to love and still have friendships with to this day. Um, who were self-sacrificial in their love for me, um, could have gotten much better salaries elsewhere, but taught in my tiny little Christian school. Anyway, having taught me to read the, read the Bible, I know what they would say, and I hear it all the time from King James-only folks. When I say, you know, the King James is not fully unintelligible, it's not like it makes no sense whatsoever, but there are enough instances of uh, you know, words people don't know that we need to move to a contemporary translation, at least, especially in church. I'm not telling individuals to stop using the King James. I still use mm -hmm. it on a daily basis. 
Um, but in church where you're going to be speaking to kids up through adults and non-Christians and Christians and 1 Corinthians 14 talks about the man, you know, the uninitiated, the unlearned, the King James says, who comes into your assembly. And if you use words he can understand, he'll fall down and confess that God is in you of a truth, the King James says. Um, if you're going to reach those people, you need to use words they can understand. But what they always say to me, my King James only brothers, is, well, don't aid and abet other people's laziness. You know, they need to just learn to use a dictionary. Look it up, dear. That's the standard reply. And to mm -hmm. a degree, that makes sense. You know, if you're going to read the Bible, a lot of it is difficult. It's obscure and it's from a long time ago in a galaxy seemingly far, far away. Mm -hmm. It's going to take some effort. And I work for Logos Bible Software and I have thousands of Bible study resources on my laptop at this moment. And I use them all the time. I'm not against reading books. I'm the editor of Bible Study Magazine here. I'm for <laughs> Bible study, not against it. Um, but I say, number one, why should we have to look up words like, for example, besom, which just meant broom. When couldn't we couldn't couldn't we just say broom? Would that be okay? Yeah. <laughs> you right, know, right. Why do we have to look up chambering? You know, immorality is not a dummy word. It's but it happens to be the word that we use today instead of chambering. Mm -hmm. um, why should we have to look up words? I mean, the whole point of translation <clears throat> is to put the uh, the the Bible into language we can understand. Why should we have to look up words if they're dead words like those that we don't use anymore? Right. When we have equivalents today, but but then there's this further point because you could use the dictionary if you encounter chambering, you know you don't know this, and so you look it up. But what about words you don't know you don't know? And that's my false mm -hmm. friends. And that was a long monologue to get to the answer to your question. That is. <laughs> I began to realize when about 10 years ago now, I was using multiple translations as I have been for 20 years. I was writing a Bible textbook lesson for eighth graders. I used to work for a Christian textbook publisher as a Bible textbook author. And I was reading 1 Kings 18 and I was reading it in multiple Bible translations to make sure that, you know, kids in Christian schools and homeschools around the world actually wouldn't be confused uh, by the way I told the story if they read it in their Bibles and saw something a little different. And I saw a phrase that I had known since a child, uh, since childhood. Um, uh, Elijah says on Mount Carmel, if, um, come on, how long halt ye between two opinions? He says to the Israelites, mm -hmm. if the Lord be God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And may I put a, um, a friendly, voluble Greek Orthodox co-host on the spot for just one moment. You said you don't know the Old Testament. Don't be embarrassed. No. Okay. <laughs> honest opinion. Sure. What do you think? What do you think it means? What does the word halt mean when Elijah I mean, on Mount Carmel says, How long halt ye between two opinions? So um I would say to contemporary years, it would mean stop. How long do you yeah. stop? So when I read that, I would say, How long are you um waiting between right. making a decision? Yeah, and that is exactly what I always assumed. And I had heard multiple sermons on this. I hadn't memorized it as a memory verse in Awana or something. I just memorized it because it's a famous phrase that it's very stirring. So preachers use it, you know, in the King James only world. How long halt ye between two opinions? Are you going to follow the Lord or follow the world? And mm -hmm. actually that's a totally fine, you know, application of that passage in my estimation today. But halt means stop, right? But the ESV, I was reading along in it, and it's a contemporary translation, you know, into modern English. And it said, mm -hmm. how long will you go limping between two opinions? And I thought, hmm. what? That's not right. Like the King James translators are not dummies. The ESV translators are not dummies. Why would one say stop and the other say limp? That doesn't make sense. So I went and looked at the Hebrew in Logos Bible Software 
and I saw the word is limp. So I was like, boy, the ESV translators are right and the King James translators are wrong. That I'm not used to concluding the King James translators were wrong. They Again, they weren't dummies. So I did some more thinking. I did some searching. How, where else does the King James use the word halt? And I got to the New Testament. And it says in the New Testament that in the King James that Jesus healed the halt and the blind. That is the hmm. lame, the limping, or the blind. So in 1611, in a context like 1 Kings 18, yeah. the word halt meant limp. How long halt ye between two opinions means how long will you go limping? How long do you limp between two opinions? The, and I realized, duh, I've been misled through no fault of my own. I don't think it should be my job to keep up with all the ways English has changed. Well, well, now it is, but it shouldn't be everybody else's job to keep up with all the ways English has changed over the centuries. Um, and it isn't the King James translator's fault. How could they know what the word halt would come to mean? In fact, it has dropped that sense of limp. But the result is that I misunderstood. I, I encountered what I later came to call a false friend, like, embarrassed in English and embarazada in Spanish, which doesn't right. mean embarrassed. It means pregnant. So yes. sometimes boys <laughs> will say, estoy embarazado, and everybody will titter, you know, because it's a false friend. <laughs> the same thing is happening between, you know, as Elizabethan English, you know, it's like that Venn diagram. As our English and their English draw further apart, you know, there's still major overlap. But as they draw further apart, it's going to cause misunderstandings. It's one right. thing to tell people, look up dead words. Don't be lazy. Okay, I get it. I don't think it should be necessary, but at least it's possible. But okay. I've asked this question till I'm like, I don't know, ashen gray in the face. How are people supposed to look up words they don't know they don't know? So let me just sort of that brings us a question to mind. The last thing you just said, which is that um, do you think in light of how often translations are taken into maybe not incorrect, but different avenues. Like it is important to have that original, as original as we can find, even though it is difficult to read, even though you do have to look up words, when it's translated yet again, you're going through this endless game of telephone. And so the translations themselves get you further and further away from the meaning too. That's a great question. And it's a very, very common misconception to be frank that okay. um, yeah. what we're dealing with is a game of telephone because mm -hmm. it's, it's yes, uh, there, there, that has happened where, for mm -hmm. example, the Wycliffe Bible was not translated from the Hebrew and Greek. It was translated from the Latin Vulgate. This is in the 1380s. And so it's like reading a photocopy of a photocopy, which is still better than nothing. If you, you yeah. know, if you had nothing in English before, that still has God's precious truth. Right. But ever since the Protestant Reformation, translations have been made from the Hebrew and Greek originals. So it's not the game of telephone. It's okay. You, okay. you have this line, uh, but you can go back to the beginning of the line and get him to repeat the original message. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm not trying to put you down. That is extremely no. common. Um, yeah. But we really can. I've got the original sitting right there and another copy of it sitting right there. You can't see and tons of them on my laptop and tons of people that read biblical Hebrew and Greek. And actually, there is a small but growing number of people who work really hard to speak those languages um, mm -hmm. to recover the pronunciation and mm -hmm. the intonation, whatever um, that was used in, in those original times. So we don't have to worry, oh no, you know, has this passed through so many hands of monks over the years that the centuries that it's been altered? No, I mean, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I'll, 
finish with this. Uh, Peter Williams of Tyndall House, Cambridge, which is an excellent evangelical study center, he said, you know, someone can always say, what if there were changes made, you know, before the, a certain point? So Moses comes down from the mount with the, you know, Ten Commandments written on stone. What if he altered them on his way down? Yes, you can always say that. <laughs> but what evidence yeah. do we have that that's happened? We have copies of the New Testament and of the Hebrew Bible from multiple different areas and time periods that cohere very well. They're not absolutely yeah. perfectly the same, but they're very, very similar. That suggests they haven't been, um, you know, uh, suffering um, tampering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I, no, I appreciate actually if I do have misconceptions to have yeah. them alleviated or disabused sure. rather than to carry them around. So yeah, feel free because this is not my wheelhouse. So. I, I appreciate being pointed in the right direction. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your humility there. It's not usually <laughs> considered nice for guests to come on and tell their host they're wrong about something. So <laughs> no, please that. do. Yeah. Our our show is about discovering a lot of times. So we but I don't want to turn you into the mad ones. Like don't be <laughs> <No. mad> <laughs> <laughs> more of an Alice in Wonderland kind of context, I guess, with that. <laughs> but no, I mean I, I love when the, these moments come up because you know like a lot of people will truly believe that the bible that they're reading say the the N nlt is copied off of the niv which is copied off of the K kjv right. like that seems to be something that people think oh well they just take it from the last translation right. when right. it is coming straight from these yeah. manuscripts which there are more manuscripts found all the time yeah that gets complicated. So I'm going to grab something that's right here. Okay. I've got one copy of the Greek New Testament. And one time I did have somebody come to church. Um, I, I, I don't think he was a professing Christian, but he was kind of interested in the gospel. But he said the same thing to me. You know, how do we know? It's a game of telephone. How do we know that people are translating accurately? And I said, here. And I handed him my English Bible. And then I pulled out my Greek New Testament, which I had with me at the time. And I said, um, turn to whatever page you know you want. So he turns to John, and I said, "Give me a verse." And he gave me a verse, and I said, "Look here. Here's the Greek. I'm going to read it to you. You tell me if what I say is the same as what you see." And I read from John one, two, or three. I can't remember. And he's like, "Yeah, that that is what it says." I didn't, and and actually, I didn't say the exact words of that English translation because anybody who's ever translated anything knows yeah. that there are these minor little variants, you know different ways of saying the same thing. That's what we're dealing with in uh, in translations. And it isn't, I'll give another correction here. This is very common too. This is a specialized field, it's complex. We don't have, we're, we're not using multiple manuscripts anymore per se, we're using printed editions. And there is a difference because a printed edition can be exactly the same as, you know, all the other editions of it, you know, that came off the same printer at the same time. But yeah. manuscripts collect minor errors over over time. It's unavoidable. No human is capable without the Holy Spirit's direct intervention, some kind of miracle of copying perfectly an entire document. So the reason that it helps that we discover these new manuscripts and we're not typically discovering very old ones. We're, we're discovering um, much younger ones, as it were, typically nowadays. But we have found these older ones like Sinaiticus and Vaticanus that we were talking about beforehand, uh, before uh, we got on here. Um, the reason finding them all helps is that the more testimony you have, 
typically, even though, yes, there are more variants, you know, total created, you know, the wise men came and saw baby Jesus versus the wise men came and found baby Jesus. Overall, you get more confidence in establishing the original text um, because a lot of the errors are clearly errors. Somebody right. writes, you know, uh, in order to form a more perfect onion rather than in order to form a more perfect union. Mm. And you just know immediately, okay, that's just a misspelling. And, you know, mm. there's, there's not some secret meaning here. Um, the more evidence we have, the more helpful that is. But a lot of people in the King James only world, they find that to be very bewildering. They want one pure text and no humans ever standing in judgment over the text, <clears throat> ever having to look at the wise men came and found baby Jesus versus the wise men came and saw baby Jesus and having to make a decision. Um, and, and that's why your guest, Ryan, your friend, came on and was arguing for the Textus Receptus. Um, and we can get as much into that as you want to, but that's my sort of answer what you were just saying. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I would love to do that some because, you know, I you you wrote the book about it and you you did it really shortly, which everyone should get a copy of Authorized. Uh, like I said, it is in the, the description wherever you're listening. Uh, well, except for if you're watching, it's in the description. If you're listening, go to our website, wearethemadones.com slash 146. Um, but it's very it's it's a very good read i recommend it um but one of the things that people bring up is well you know if you're reading the uh let's say the nasb uh you'll you'll see verses missing that were in the king james version and so obviously we're not getting the whole bible How, what would you say to someone who says that there's two answers the simple one and the complex one and authorized was written in order to make the simple answer. And that's what I said earlier, that what you're talking about here is not the game of telephone and people who did the NIV came along and wanted to update the King James. And, you know, without any reference to the Hebrew and Greek, they just update it and they were like, oh, I'm just going to drop out verses here and there. You know, no, nobody does that. These are evangelical scholars who believe in the inerrancy of the Bible or they wouldn't be working for the NIV translation committee, which is headed by Doug Moo, who happens to be the top evangelical commentator on the Book of Romans, teaches or taught for many years at, uh, has taught at Wheaton uh, Graduate School. He also is a well-known conservative, you know, interpreter of the Apostle Paul, put out a massive tome on Paul recently that's very, very helpful and orthodox in every way. He's not going to drop verses willy-nilly out of the Bible. Right. Um, what's happening here is we have this manuscript tradition. Okay, you know what? I said I was going to get simple and then complex. So the, the, the simple answer <laughs> is, you know, brother, in fact, I have this coded into my, um, into my computer. So I'm just going to read to you what I say to people. I have a, <laughs> like a iOS shortcut. I say, my friend, the New King James Version and the Modern English Version both use the same underlying Hebrew and Greek texts as the King James. And they translate those texts into fully intelligible contemporary English, which means they meet the principle of 1 Corinthians 14, edification requires intelligibility. I commend the New King James and Modern English Version to you. I, um, you know, I have children, I have three children, so I only have 60% of the number you do, Cam, but I'm sure you know how this goes. I know how it goes. Sometimes you're in arguments with the kid and you realize merely arguing with this child means I'm losing because yeah. they are all over the place. 
Um, you just make yourself look foolish to argue with some people. <clears throat> and yeah. Proverbs says this, answer not a fool according to his folly. There are times when you answer a fool according to his folly, and that's my second answer that I'll get to in a minute. But most often, I figure, if you can't read Greek, then if we're arguing about which Greek New Testament manuscripts are the most accurate, because yes, they all the ones that have come down to us have these minor differences and a couple of somewhat larger differences that we can talk about later. There are really two main areas, the end of Mark and the story of the woman caught in adultery. Um, yes, there are these differences. If we're going to argue about them, but you can't read the language in which these documents are written, I'm not insulting you to say, how can we have a productive discussion? You don't know how different these different manuscripts are. I'm sorry, that, that sounds so offensive to modern American ears. I know it does, but I have to think to myself, I love you, this person I'm trying to have this conversation with. I'm not gonna let you make a fool of yourself. Mm -hmm. Proverbs 18, 13 says, whoever answers a matter before he hears it, it's a folly and shame to him. I get tons of folly and shame just unloaded on me like you know vats of bile all the time in my YouTube comments. And because I love these brothers, I'm not going to answer them according to their folly. So I say, if you, if your conscience is bound to the Texas Receptus and, you know, and I'm privately thinking you couldn't even tell a Texas Receptus versus a critical text if I laid them in front of you, right. but uh, yeah. because you don't read Greek. Um, but if your conscience is bound to the Texas Receptus, fine. The Bible doesn't speak clearly and directly to which Greek New Testament edition you should use. <laughs> right. It does say edification requires intelligibility. So, you know, the New King James and Modern English Version are based on the same Hebrew and Greek text. Use those. I am urging, this is why I go on so many podcasts. Yeah. Um, I just feel this message has to get out there. We've let this cancer of the doctrine of King James onlyism just persist and persist among otherwise often lovely godly people who do just want to follow the Lord. Yeah. But your, your King James only brother-in-law, what do you say to him? Don't argue textual criticism with him. Nine right. times out of nine, you don't know Greek and neither does he. How is that going to be profitable? Talk That's about fair. English. So yeah. talk about the dead words and false friends. Talk about 1 Corinthians 14. And praise the Lord, I'm seeing some results from that. You asked yeah. a, a complex question, though, and I'm going to try to make it short. The, <laughs> the second big answer is, yes, I can and will dive into the details with people. Um, and, it, and there are so many different ways into it, but it starts with, what does the Bible say? And I already said it doesn't tell us how to adjudicate differences among Greek New Testament manuscripts. And so there is a degree to which the Lord leaves that to humans right? The way he leaves preaching to humans, he could do it himself. God could preach the gospel and he would do it perfectly. Unlike me, you know, God yeah. could preach in every church every Sunday, and then I wouldn't need to be a pastor. Um, but he has given both the task of textual criticism and translation to humans. Textual criticism is looking at these manuscripts and where it says, um, the, the wise men came and found baby Jesus in one, and the wise men came and saw baby Jesus in another. Or where it says, here's an example, um, it calls David the king once in Matthew 1, 6 in the genealogy in some manuscripts, and it calls him the king twice in the genealogy in other manuscripts. What are we going to translate? It says in uh, Matthew 1, uh, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, this is the King James, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, that's some manuscripts, and some manuscripts omit the word as. You're going to have to translate something. What right. are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Everybody has to make a decision. And um, in textual criticism, when, as it's practiced by the broad mainstream of evangelical scholars, 
we want to look at all the evidence that God has providentially preserved down through the centuries. Um, but in all the manuscripts and use our best study tools, asking all kinds of questions to incredible levels of detail, such as who was the scribe who did this manuscript and who was the one who wrote in the corrections the first time? Who was the second corrector who wrote in little minor corrections? We go to that level of detail, making all this public for everybody to see. There's no conspiracy here. Right. And in the you're asking, does the NIV leave out verses? I'm trying to get to the end here. I, there's just so right. much, so much to say. Sure. I'll try yeah. to end with that. Um, <laughs> Sorry for making it so hard. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I'm the one. I knew this question is coming. I should have had a shorter answer. I'm really sorry about this. But uh, anyway, why does the NIV leave out verses? No, in the judgment of conservative, evangelical, Bible believing, inerrantist, gospel preaching, Protestant. Orthodox, in the lowercase o sense, scholars who can actually read the Hebrew and Greek and have devoted their lives to this and teaching it, translating the Bible and working on this stuff. They actually believe that the King James is based on ultimately manuscripts that here and there add little statements, add mm -hmm. words, such as having Jesus Christ instead of just Jesus um, mm. or saying Jesus instead of he, you know, just specifying the antecedent of a pronoun within the text. Um, the, the King James text that it's based on is ultimately just a little bit longer than the one that the NIV is based on. So if you're going to posit that the NIV omits verses, at least you need to have the honesty and understanding that in the judgment of sober people who've actually really studied this stuff and actually can read Greek, <laughs> they think the King James has uh, is based on manuscripts that added things. That's where the debate is. Um, okay. And a debate can and must be had. But it's not, did an English translation set of translators decide to, in their game of telephone, just drop out some verses? No, that's not right. what happened. Yeah. So like one of the, one of the examples was uh, apparently that it was about prayer and fasting to cast out demons. And the, that one's missing. And I mean, it, what, when I was, because after that episode, I read up on Erasmus, who put together the Textus Receptus. I looked into all these different uh, things. And, you know, it was just, but it was before I found your book. But I was reading into this stuff and I was like, you know, I had that same thought. I was like, I don't speak Greek. So how could I possibly verify this? So my, my choices are do I trust in some way the authorities? Do I trust the people who have put in the work or do I formulate an, a strong opinion based on something I don't have the background to build an opinion on? Does that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, it does. Yeah. It, you guys have read C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, I presume. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I, I can find this quote if I look uh, long enough, but he talks about how we believe, you know, so much on authority. I found it. Um, he says, don't be scared by the word authority. Believing things on authority only means believing them because you've been told them by someone who you think trustworthy. 99% of the things you believe are believed on authority. I believe there's such a place as New York. I've not seen it myself. I could not prove by abstract reasoning that there must be such a place. I believe it because reliable people have told me so. Isn't he the best? I just love Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> I love the him so much. The ordinary man believes in the solar system, atoms, I'm going to skip evolution for now, and the circulation of the blood on authority because the scientists say so. 
Every okay. historical statement in the world is believed on authority. None of us has seen the Norman conquest or the defeat of the Armada. None of us could prove them by pure logic as you prove a thing in mathematics. Um, a man who jibbed at, you know, objected to authority and other things as some people do in religion would have to be content to know nothing all his life. So the actual argument we're having when it comes to Greek New Testament textual criticism is almost never, what are the facts? Uh, when it, in the King James only debate, I, I don't have that. Sometimes yeah. I do. There, there are some capable folks out there and I just love it. I glom onto them. I beg <laughs> them to talk to me longer because I can have an actual conversation with them. But most of the time, people that are trying to argue with me, they think they're arguing about textual criticism. They think right. they're arguing about the preservation of the Bible. Actually, they're arguing about which authority do you trust? Uh -huh. um, do you trust D.A. Waite and Peter Ruckman, Gail Ripplinger, and a bunch of, and Sam Giffen, a bunch of the King James only movement leaders? Or do you trust the mainstream, modern, uh, you know, evangelical, conservative, um, orthodox Bible scholars that I am sort of a popularizer for? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and that makes a lot of sense. I don't mean to, I, I, I know that this is all com complex and like really discussing it, like I said, is is hard to do. Uh, but there, there are a lot of these, I, I don't know if you, you're not on TikTok yet, but there, yeah. there's, we're going to have an episode, uh, I think in July with, with some, it's amazing to me how some of the same arguments that Paul had are being had to this day. Like it's mm. wild to me how many um, like Hebrew roots people are arguing on TikTok um, blows my mind. Um, but one of the one of the TikToks I saw the other day was this guy talking about one of the Gnostic Gospels about how they don't want you to know what Jesus taught stuff like yeah. that. So there's always this they, and uh, one of the right. one of the claims that I found interesting uh, was that. Outside of the Textus Receptus, you know, this Westcott and Hort um, manuscript came from Alexandria. There were only three, three manuscripts and that um, this was the Gnostic area. And so they're not to be yeah. trusted because of Gnosticism yeah. in that area. And so I, I know this is a complex question. All these things are, sure. uh, you know, th this is high level. But uh, what do they you... mean the medium sized bucks? <laughs> But um, what? How how do you respond to that? Is there any legitimacy yeah. to this claim? No. <laughs> I saw him it's shaking utterly, his head while you were yeah. talking. <laughs> it's utterly ridiculous. But you know, usually that doesn't work. It, just saying that doesn't yeah. doesn't work. You know, because that, that is a way of just ridiculing people. And I really, you know, I'm among friends, so I just call it utterly ridiculous. You know, this is going to yeah. get repeated now. But I try to be really patient because. Uh, First or Second Timothy says that this, you know, ironically enough, it's the King James that fills my head and heart. So when I quote the Bible, <laughs> it's still off in the King James 20 years after I stopped reading yeah. it. You know, mine's new King Bible. James. <laughs> yeah. So it says the servant of the Lord must not strive, which doesn't mean he shouldn't try hard. It means that's a false friend, actually. It means that he shouldn't fight, um, but mm. be patient toward all. Um, in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. That's the way the King James puts it. And I think that means those who are in opposition. But I've always thought that's a funny way that it put it. And I don't, I still don't know, was that purposeful? Those who oppose themselves. Because when people are telling me, oh, I can't trust the NIV, I can't trust the ESV, I'm saying to myself, they're opposing themselves. They're only shooting themselves in the foot. Um, it's so sad to me. Don't you want God's word? Don't you want to understand it? Why wouldn't you hunger after whatever tool will help you understand it? 
So that this is one of the conspiracy theories that's developed, you know, the Alexandrian stream, the, the, the corrupt stream versus the Antiochene stream, which is the pure stream. And um, there's a, a lot that can be said on it. And actually, if if folks will wait until July when my little group called the Textual Competence Collective will be putting out a series of seven hour-long videos that we shot in Dallas a couple weeks ago. Uh, went to great expense. My Patreon supporters helped me get down there. That's why I started Patreon, actually, because I, I just couldn't afford it without their help. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, we went and shot these episodes. I'm talking with some, you know, if, if I sound like an expert, you just wait till you hear my friends Peter Montoro <laughs> and Elijah Hickson. This is really their field. I'm a popularizer and I'm a philologist. I love words. I just delight in words. So right. I focus a lot on English uh, meaning. But I, you know, I more than dabble in textual criticism. I've done some ac academic work on it, but these guys are like literally world class. Yeah. Um, Elijah Hickson, in particular, who works for Dan Wallace at the Center for the Study of New Testament Manuscripts. Anyway, they talk about this in some more detail. Um, one thing that I have done, though, that I think will help people is, I don't know, are you able, Cam, to bring up a website um, yeah. for the viewers? Can yeah. you go to kjbparallelbible.org? You know, or I can uh, I can put the link in the chat here if I'm smart. I'll just put a link to Matthew 17 if you want to click it. Actually, you asked about Matthew 17 a moment ago, and that's why I picked that. That's the passage that talks about this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. Uh, that's verse 21. Um, the KJV Parallel Bible, while you're bringing it up, I'll explain. You know, if there's some grand conspiracy, great. Thank you. That's it. Now, scroll down just a little bit. Um, there we go. Keep keep scrolling. You know what? Actually, leave Texas Receptus and Critical Text on top. Let, let's make sure we see those while I explain a little bit. Okay. Um, here's what this site does. Um, the, the, the Textus Receptus, which is a set of printed editions of the Greek New Testament that was, yes, begun by Erasmus, but goes all the way up through, especially the Elzevirs in uh, the 1630s and before that, Beza in 1598, that's Theodore Beza, who's an heir to Calvin in Geneva, um, and Stephanus, a French scholar also called Robert Estienne. Mm -hmm. um, in 1550. Okay, the, the Texas Receptus editions are very similar. They have minor differences among them. Uh, they are usually referred to as the collective title, the Textus Receptus. And yes, in general, that is the version of the text that was used by the King James translators. They themselves used multiple editions, and those editions differed. And when they differed, they had to make choices, and the choices they made were recorded by a scholar in 1881 named Frederick uh, Henry Ambrose Scrivener and put out in a Greek New Testament edition that is now the one used in King James Onlyism, and that's the Texas Receptus. That is the super short version of a complex story. Yeah. Okay. The King James is therefore based on the Texas Receptus, right? And that's on the left. Um, I'm afraid that I have a friend who's going to fix my CSS problems on this site. So the word, the letters TR are going into the text <laughs> in the verses right now. But if you can see, it says TR for Texas Receptus. Okay. On the right is a representation of the critical text. That is the version of the Greek New Testament that is used by modern translators all around the world today, used in the ESV and the NIV and the NASB and the NLT and, you know, all the standard, you know, major translations aside from the New King James Version and the Modern English Version. But until I made this project with the help of volunteers, and by the way, it's being corrected right now by an editor. Um, it was a huge project and 
there are surely errors on the site, but we did our best unpaid. Okay. And I'm paying myself for, you know, the hosting and domain costs for this thing for it's been out several years. Um, nobody before this project was done could actually look in English at the differences between the critical text and the Texas Receptus. So King James Onlyus will say there are massive, significant differences between the two. And the critical text omits key doctrines and attacks the deity of Christ. I had even the most responsible uh, King James Onlyist I know who has a legitimate PhD from a non-King James only institution, Jeff Riddle, he said that the critical text, you know, is a completely different underlying text for these hmm. modern translations. Um, and what are lay people supposed to do with this? You know, some of them are scared and they go running to King James onlyism and various forms of it. A lot of people, of course, dismiss it and just continue to trust their pastors. And, you know, that's an understandable response too. But if you wanted to get into it, but you can't read Greek, what can you do? How can you know? if the two texts are massively different. Well, that's why I made this site. So on the left is the King James as it stands in what is actually the 1769 edition, which is the one commonly used. It was done by editor Benjamin Blaney of Oxford. Um, it's not the 1611 that's actually used today, um, but it's, a, it's a, mainly a spelling update of the 1611. And on the right is the King James as it would look if you could get a critical text uh, of the Greek New Testament, get in a time machine and go back to 1611 and hand it to the King James translators. And then I marked the differences between the two. So you can see in the first two verses of Matthew 17, there are no differences. And if you don't mind scrolling down until you see a difference, there's one. Then answered Peter and said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles. And in the critical text, it, it says, uh, Peter says, if thou wilt, I will make here three tabernacles. And let me ask you, is this a significant doctrinal difference? Oh. Yeah, Peter makes the tabernacles with the other disciples that are with him on the Mount of Transfiguration or by himself, is it? <laughs> I mean, the, the, the lettuce can be because there are other places where it's used to point out the Trinity, correct? Well, um, if... Okay, I see. Uh, and actually, I this is on the like edge of my mind that Greek Orthodoxy does maybe use this passage for mm -hmm. uh, Trinitarian debates. Mm -hmm. um, taken as it is, I, I would say this is not a significant difference. Whether okay. Peter makes the tabernacles with the other disciples who are with him, I think are James and John, or does it by himself. Mm -hmm. um, that's the kind of difference we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I can't speak intelligently to how Greek Orthodoxy uses this passage honestly uh, neither can i to be fair so i'm just kind of pulling something out that i know maybe someone else might point out that yes the lettuce is actually liturgic or not liturgically uh significant because it is used in other places to kind of uh draw the conclusion that there's a trinity so yeah i i would just my protestant and biblical studies self i i do remember now i think where i heard this i have a greek orthodox guy who comments uh, on my channel on a regular basis. And he's he's not King James only, of course, but he's defending the Byzantine text. And I do mm -hmm. think that he said this. To me, that feels like it comes out of left field. Um, I don't, I just can't make my mind read significance, doctrinal significance into right. Fair enough. differences. Yeah. <laughs> like had, and to I'm be, not had, on you. had to be an orthodox in the, in the chat. That's so interesting. <laughs> if you don't mind scrolling down further, look at the next difference. I, I haven't looked at this in advance. Here we go. And Jesus came and touched them and said, arise 
and Jesus came and touching them said, arise. Th there's a difference there, you know, distinction without a difference. Okay. I, yes, the Greek is different there. And, and if you're going to reflect it in translation, that's the way you would do it. Um, and then the next verse, when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only versus save Jesus himself only. Again, here the texts are different in Greek, and they must be reflected in translation, but there's no difference in meaning. Or as they yeah. came down from the mountain uh, versus and they came down the mountain. Or the Son of Man must be risen again from the dead versus the Son of Man must be raised. And we can, there might right. be a more significant difference. But if you look in the rest of the New Testament, uh, and this is off the top of my head, you'll see both that the Son of Man was raised and that the Son of Man rose. Um, what I think really stands out to you, if you'll give it a fair look, and um, I've gotten very, very little attention from the King James only world to this site. They are so insistent that the Textus Receptus is massively different from the critical text, um, but they haven't paid any attention or shown any interest in this site. And I begged and begged and begged and begged Textus Receptus defenders to help me make the site because I wanted, to, to, wanted it to be a neutral place where we just the facts, you know, put out the yeah. difference between these two texts. Uh, I almost utterly failed. I finally did get one guy who is kind <laughs> of a Texas Receptus defender to do one chapter. No, it was they don't trust me. So it's all my friends that did this. I think what really stands out to you is that verse after verse after verse is the same. And if you don't mind yeah. going to the table of contents um, and then going to 2 Timothy 3, <clears throat> we can stop the discussion here. But this is all an answer to, yeah, 2 Timothy 3. That's the famous chapter that talks about the inspiration of the Bible. And um, that special note is all that I'm going to say. And, and, and that's that if you scroll down, go ahead and scroll down. Here's, this is the chapter that says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. <clears throat> there are no differences. Hmm. Well, if the critical text is the work of the evil, wicked stream of, you know, Bible deniers, Westcott and Hort standing at the end and, you know, the, the origins of the world and the other, you know, her heretical Alexandrians, you know, at the, uh, at the origin of this, um, then they did a really horrific job messing up the New Testament because verse after <laughs> verse after verse after verse is exactly the same. Some whole chapters are exactly the same. And when there are differences, they are typically incredibly minor and they don't make any difference. Mm -hmm. So people at first are scared, like, oh no, you know, textual criticism. What, you know, I remember telling somebody, an, a fairly new believer, it kind of recovered his faith and understanding of the gospel and really faithful guy going to our church, really diligent reader and Bible student. I really loved serving him, pastoring him. Um, I was the one who had to tell him there are differences among the Greek New Testament manuscripts that have come down to us. And he was totally unaware of this. And, you know, that's initially unsettling, right? You want, if you're, if I'm relying, take, putting my life on this Bible thing here, then I want to know that this is what God actually said. Um, but I think it's so helpful to just look in English through the project that I alone and my buddies, you know, have done. Nobody else has <laughs> done this. Uh, just look at the differences and tell me that they're massively significant. I don't, I don't think that they are. <clears throat> right. I think that's people's faith. You know, uh, including intent, the availability of a resource like this is incredible. You're really to be commended because people previous to you creating this didn't have the ability to research this for themselves. That is a, uh, you've done something very kind for your, your fellow man by doing this. Well, I'm, thank you. 
very impressed by what you've built. That's that's incredible. Well, and and I, I I love all of this. This is so fascinating to me. I'm 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 glad you're a popularizer. I think that if anything, when it comes to these types of conversations, I'm a uh, let's try to make it as stupid uh, if all the let's let's let the the guy the boy behind the plow understand it like right. i want to bring it down as far as possible um you know with and, and that's why it's great to have jessica on because i can even get high-minded at times and then she's like well no no, no what does that mean and i'm like okay let's do this let's do this again <laughs> you know um i i love yeah. i love what you've done here um i like I said, uh, originally, I grew up on uh, memorizing the KJV. I read the NIV a lot. I read um, the NLT on a, a lot a lot of times. It depends on what I want to read at that time. Um, but one of the things that I, I worry about, and I, don't, I wouldn't say I worry about it, but I've seen a lot of are all of these kind of quote unquote deconstructionists on platforms like TikTok that are yeah. calling there. I think there's a danger in people thinking they are smarter than they are or more studied than they are. Because yeah. uh, I saw TikTok probably two days ago and the guy was like, did you know that in all four gospels, the, the sign they put above Jesus's cross are all different. So that's a contradiction. And it's like, do you not know that these are four eyewitness accounts and witnesses relay information differently? These are not contradictions. They all say the same thing. It's just some words are omitted that from others because it's not the point. It's to be the, oh, well, this is exactly what was written here. It's this is what was being done and how they showed, you know, and I'm glad that there are people out there that are talking about these things who are talking about, hey, um, maybe we need to learn what I think a lot of people need to learn what the Bible is before they yeah. start arguing the particulars. In fact, a lot of the difficulties, you know, in passages of, of the New Testament where like the one that you mentioned, this kind cometh not out by, but by prayer and fasting. A lot of the times, the reason that uh, a phrase like that would be quote unquote omitted from uh, contemporary translation, but remember, we're not talking about an omission. We're talking about something that was added in to the manuscripts that the King James right. relies on. It can get confusing. Mm -hmm. Often, the answer in the Gospels is that actually that phrase occurs in another Gospel. So, a friend of mine just gave me this one. Um, if I start this phrase, this is going to take me a second to find here. Um, um, when when Jesus says to Peter, "Who do men say that I am?" Um, what, what does he say? Uh, remember that I, one? I, yeah, I do. I'm, I don't know why I'm blanking. I, I, I just the, go, essentially he says he's that they say you're the son of God, but I'm not picking from a, the, the exact translation. I'm sort of like through my brain translating what I remember. <laughs> in, in Matthew 16, um, he says, um, you know, some say John the Baptist, some others say Elijah, yes, still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Jesus says, or Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of a living God. Yeah. Well, in a parallel passage in Mark chapter eight, um, Jesus, and I'll just read from the English standard version. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, what do people say? Uh, who do people say that I am? 
And they told him John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. And in Mark 8, 29, um, uh, he asked them, "What? Do, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he doesn't have the phrase, the son of the living God. Now, obviously, that's complementary to the Matthew passage, the parallel Matthew passage. It's not contradicting it. Um, right. But if you have grown up as a scribe, you know, in Greek, hearing, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and <clears throat> you come to copy Mark 8, and you get to this statement, Mark 8, 29, who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Christ you're going to like think, oh, the scribe before me that I, you know, right. whose manuscript I'm copying made a mistake. I need to put this in. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just so natural. It's, it slips right off the tongue. Um, that is the source of a lot of the variance in the manuscript tradition of the Greek New Testament. I, in general, I'm a conservative. I'm an inerrantist. I believe the Bible is true, everything it affirms. And I'm always going to be looking first um, and, and I'm ultimately trusting I'm going to find a complementary way to view, you know, what may initially appear as discrepancies in the gospel accounts. Right. Well, uh, there's the question that I get asked all the time. We talked about it before um, the show, but any if you if you have a biblical studies degree of any sort, people are always going to ask you what translation should I be reading? What's the most trustworthy translation? And I loved what you, how you put it in your book. And it's the way I answer, like I, I, there was a, a piece to how you answered that I'm going to add to my own answer now, because I'm like, I never answer it the way they want me to. And so I'm, I was glad to read it how you did it. So let me pose that question to you and let, and let you answer for people who want to know which is the best translation of the Bible to read. Yeah, the, the most popular video on my YouTube channel is coming up on 30,000 views, and I'm glad because I'm just hoping to end Bible translation tribalism <laughs> by giving this answer is which Bible translation is the best? All the good ones. And hmm. there are some bad ones. So the New World Translation put out by the Jehovah's Witnesses, they're the modern-day Arians. Yes, they alter some passages. God's truth shines really brightly, and it's difficult to obscure it completely. So even the New World Translation contains tons of truth. But no, I wouldn't send people that way. No, I wouldn't send people to the Passion Translation because yeah. um, its author has claimed basically divine inspiration for his translation. And that is massively problematic. That's what the King James Onlyists are frequently, but not always doing. There's more of an extreme version of King James Onlyism that claims that the King James itself was inspired by God and is therefore perfect. Um, but the major modern evangelical English Bible translations that I can speak to intelligently because I've been reading them for 20 years, the ESV, the NASB, the King James, the new King James, I guess I'll drop out the King James because it's not modern, but I have been using it for, uh, well, 40 years now. Um, the, uh, new living translation, the net Bible, these are good and trustworthy translations. And unless the Bible tells us use only one translation, this is imperative or tells us that. In every language, God is going to inspire one translation to be perfect. And don't you dare look at others. Hmm. You know, unless the Bible tells me that, then I'm going to figure that whatever helps me understand the Bible is, you know, basically good. Not perfect, but good. Any more than your pastor is perfect. If you just feel totally bewildered by checking multiple translations, hey, I feel for you. 
trust that I'm not bewildered and that many people find value in reading multiple translations. Trust me when I say, I think you will too. But if you just can't handle it, you only want to use one, whatever your pastor is using, use that. If he's using the King James, that's probably the one exception, you know, I would say to Protestants, I would say, go to him and say, okay, pastor, I'm really having trouble understanding the King James version. Here's all these dead words and false friends that I learned about on a YouTube channel, uh, Mark <laughs> Ward's YouTube channel. I shouldn't smile because then my earbuds come out. Um, what, what translation would you recommend? And if he insists to you, the King James is the only one that's trustworthy. That's where I draw the line. I say, no, that can't be right. First Corinthians 14 says edification requires intelligibility. You know, don't blast away at the guy. You don't need to cause a major stink. You know, hopefully you can stay in that church, but um, you need to read what you can understand. But otherwise, most pastors of evangelical churches in the country are using one of the major modern evangelical English Bible translations, and they're all good. Go ahead and use it base your life on it. It's fine. They're all saying the same thing where they have minor differences and they are minor. Yeah. It's either because of text, like I showed on my site, and you can look at my site to figure out, is this disagreement between the NIV and the New King James or the NASB and the King James, is it because of a textual critical difference in the manuscripts or is it because of translation disagreements or translation philosophy? Um, and if you still can't tell, uh, even after using, you know, the analytical tools I've just offered, then go get a good commentary, ask your pastor for help. I, When I was a pastor, I'm no, not currently an assistant pastor. Uh, my church actually had to vote to close in part because of COVID last fall. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm in a good church. I'm just about to start teaching again. If people ask me a question like that, I get thrilled because yeah. that means they've got a big question mark in their heads and they've got motivation to fill in the blanks there. And they'll mm -hmm. actually listen. <laughs> so yeah. um, I think it's a great thing to have Bible study questions generated by uh, by reading multiple translations. Yeah. Do, do you think there are any places where the differences are so vast that it causes like a theological problem for someone to follow that translation? You were saying like with the the New World Translation or the past. Uh, I haven't heard of this one. The past the Passion Translation. Yeah. Are there yeah. parts of those translations that are actually like um, dangerous for people to, to read? The New World Translation um, undermines the deity of Christ in John 1 by saying that not uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God rather than the Word was God. Oh. And it is widely held in all of you know Orthodox Christianity that this is Arianism. This is the yeah. ancient heresy of denying deity to Jesus. And of course they do. <laughs> So yes, don't read that one. You know, right, um, right. if you've been raised all your life on an evangelical translation and you know it well and you've done your theology work, you're not going to be harmed by literally physically picking up a new world translation. Sure. Touching sure. it's not going to, you yeah. know, uh, make you unclean. But I'm sort of thinking about a person like me who wandered into Christianity off the street. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, my first Bible came to me because my roommate was throwing out a bunch of books and the Bible that his dad gave him, which I think he got off of a radio show, he was going to throw it out. And even as I was an atheist at the time, and I thought, well, you shouldn't throw that away. You shouldn't throw a Bible in the dumpster. There's just something yeah. sort of disrespectful about it. So I took yeah. it and I said, well, I'll, I'll put it on my bookshelf. It'll it'll fill out my bookshelf. Yeah. yeah. Back, what what translation was that? It um I think it's NLT. Yeah. If I, I the book's like two two floors away right now, or I'd go get it. That's um, fine. 
but you know that was my first bible i'm sure there were there are differences in the translations between i'm now attending an orthodox church so i'm sure there's differences there but that was what i had that was the thing yeah. that i had to look at when that still small voice years we're talking a decade later i had this bible i didn't want to throw it away wow. i kept it on my shelf a decade later i start getting that still small voice working in me i was like i i might pick i might pick up this book i might open it i might look and see what's in there and so that yeah. does kind of alarm me that there might be, you know, these translations out there that if I had read them would have, you know, detrimental ideas. Yeah. Thankfully, the the errors that are out there among Bible translations are in translations that are already telling everybody out there who has any understanding of theology. And I know not everybody does. So yes, yeah. I wish these Bibles didn't exist. But if you have a pastor... Lord willing, he's going to have the discernment to say, that's a sectarian translation. That's sure, not sure. an honest attempt to communicate what God has said to man. It is an attempt to twist it. But I can tell you the list of those that, the, that you will ever possibly encounter and, and on less you know, than the fingers of my hand. And it really is the New World okay. Translation and, and the Passion Translation. It's not like right. there are hundreds and dozens of these that you're right. actually going to encounter. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, you're not going to... You're and not even run the, into the Queen ahead. James. I was just say you're not going right. to run into the Queen James Bible. Randomly. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> right, right. Uh, the uh, the Passion Translation has raised hackles and uh, raised fears because it probably is the closest to something that's popular enough that you know an average Christian who doesn't really understand where it's coming from might possibly encounter it. I have right. two friends who uh, I love dearly. Both of them have faced a lot of trouble in their lives and they've i believe they're true christians but they've kind of moved away from the, uh, our conservative christian roots that i still embrace and i'm not saying they're liberals theologically liberal you know denying the bible's truth or oh sure, you know, sure. Uh, but they they are just frustrated with the version of christianity that they inherited and i don't think all their complaints are bad i think they've swung the pendulum a little too far and i've told mm -hmm. them so i love them both well enough and they they know i do that it was okay for me to say this and both of them have found um something good in the passion translation and uh, the passion translation is it's more like woolly-headed and kind of crazy than it is wrong okay <laughs> and i don't i don't know of a place I personally, and I haven't read the whole thing, but I've done soundings, you know, and I've read a lot about it. I don't know of a place where if you've been raised with good Bible teaching that, or if you have access to it now, you're in a, in a church where, you know, you're exposed to the Bible um, in a standard translation. I don't know of a place where you're really going to be misled. I, I think yeah. a lot of it is just touchy feely. And that's what, that's what the passion translation means. He's trying to add, you know, uncover the passionate heart of God. And that's not entirely wrong, but what yeah. he's actually gone and done is ended up being, like I said, just woolly headed rather than so much and you know, like overtly doctrinally erroneous. I guess that shows the importance of if you're a convert or newly um, coming into Christianity, the importance of getting involved with other Christians. Right. Um, because it can be hard. I, you know, I'm a, a modern person in a much different culture than the authors of the Bible were. So yeah. when I pick it up and I read it, I don't understand what I'm reading. I think that I do. That's the other problem is that it's just English enough that you think yeah. you know what you're reading. And you don't. <laughs> well, of course, the heart of God is to communicate with us. And um, I think 
you yes you're you're totally right <laughs> you pick up especially you know the minor prophets and mm -hmm. the english at the sentence level like i know those words and i mm -hmm. get the sentence right but what does it all add up to it can be difficult let's be encouraged by what peter said about paul he said in second peter 3 16 that you know paul wrote some things that are hard to understand and he said the unlearned and the unstable they twist these things yeah. So that is, that's an ever-present danger. But that's yes. why what you said is true. You've got to be with other Christians because you're not supposed to do this alone. You're supposed to have teachers. Christ, Ephesians 4 says, gave, gave teachers to his church. And any even the simplest Christian, the brand new baby Christian, who maybe doesn't even read very well. Like I used to pastor people who were functionally illiterate. Clearly, you know, you're not functionally illiterate. Um, they Thank they you. could get the clear things in the gospels they could get that jesus died for their sins by by reading their bibles and then over time you work at it and those old testament passages do uh do pick up clarity and if you'll pick up that book i mentioned beforehand vaughn mm -hmm. roberts god's big picture yeah. i just think so highly of that because that's what i needed i needed the big picture for right. me to kind of put the pieces together of the old testament yeah right. the meta narrative is right so exactly. important um <clears throat> so what was i gonna oh our, our friend Cody has a question for you. Sure. Uh, he said, Dr. Ward, doesn't the fact that the New Testament authors quoted both the Septuagint and a proto-Masoretic version of the Old Testament prove that they didn't think that only one text tradition had to be used? Yeah, actually, the King James, that's a really intelligent question. And um, let me explain the question to viewers before okay. I go to answer it. <laughs> okay, so the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible that was made before the time of Christ. Mm -hmm. So here are a bunch of Greek-speaking Jewish people who presumably can no longer read biblical Hebrew, okay? Whether they've been in captivity or time has just passed, I don't, we don't really know, but um, I guess there've been guesses that it was the Jews in Alexandria. I, you know, I don't know that we know this, um, but somebody made a translation for them into Greek of the Hebrew Bible. That's the Septuagint. And the Masoretic text is the Hebrew Bible as it's been passed down to us through a Jewish tradition called the Masoretes, a group of um, Jewish scribes and rabbis over the centuries. This is more like the Middle Ages. They were the ones who had custody of the Hebrew Bible during that time. And they were incredibly fastidious. They even did mark areas called Kathiv Kare readings where there are differences in the Hebrew Bible manuscript tradition. They were really, really careful in their copying of the Bible, even counting the letters on the pages to make sure that they were giving accurate mm -hmm. copies. Um, of course, without a computer, you know, humans just cannot make a perfectly accurate copy. So when it comes to the New Testament, yes, it is my understanding. It's been a while since I looked into the particulars here. I've been actually intending to, but this is a burgeoning field of study. The New Testament authors quote, when they quote the Old Testament, they regularly but not always quote the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And it's just, it would be impossible for there to be such direct verbal, you know, exact uh, similarities between the Septuagint and the New Testament quotations unless they were quoting it. Because mm -hmm. you, you just cannot translate uh, even a whole verse, you know, with exactly the same words um, uh, by accident, you know, yeah. th that's very unlikely, but they're also quoting the Masoretic text, apparently, uh, translating it therefore into Greek for the new Testament. And the King James translators make a point out of this. They say, why did they do that? Th they did that. The King James translators said, because if the new Testament authors 
quoted something other than the Septuagint, then the Greek-speaking Jews would have said to them, you're making this up or you're altering yeah. the Bible in order to fit your doctrine. And so even though the Septuagint has flaws, and it certainly does, and there are actually multiple, you know, there are just multiple portions of the Septuagint that were created later by, uh, so there are like variants of the Septuagint by Theodosian, Aquila, and Symmachus, um, which all have their different qualities. It's a, it's a complicated picture. The, the apostles quoted the Septuagint because that was what the, their, uh, their Greek-speaking Jewish readers would have, would have trusted. And I do think that your commenter is right, your friend Cody, that this indicates that the, there doesn't have to be one absolutely perfect, um, you know, every jot and tittle is exactly what Moses wrote and Paul wrote and Jude wrote and John wrote. In, in order for us to find the Bible to be true and, um, you know, edifying for our faith. The fact is God could have done that. He could have written the entire Bible in perfect characters on a hillside in Turkey, on a rock yeah. <laughs> that nobody could erase. Um, but he didn't. He made humans copy it. And there are these minor little differences in the manuscript traditions and somewhat more uh, difficult differences among translations and yet the gospel is in every serious you know, Bible translation and text. That, that reminds me of something we do when we have a little bit of fun in our Zoom Bible chat is that we read from the pigeon translation of the Bible. Uh -huh. which, um, Hawaiian I, pigeon. The Hawaiian pigeon. And yeah. although it's, 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 a, it, it's kind of funny and we titter about it, I, whenever it's read, I think, gosh, this just gets to the heart of the passage so well. Because it is in a, in a very simple, straightforward kind of language. And although you would think, as you were saying, we were talking about the game, idea of the game of telephone. So there is something about God's truth that kind of shines forth through. And the simpler the language, maybe the more clear the message. And there are portions of the New Testament that are like that. Revelation yeah. is one of the great places for people to start their Greek learning. First John also is a classic place for Greek students, new Greek students to start because it's very simple and straightforward. Hebrew, Luke, and Acts are much more difficult. I have to mm -hmm. slow way down when I when I read those and I have to reach for more helps more often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, the, the Lord gave us the Bible through penmen who had different personalities and backgrounds and different levels of education and, and had different audiences in mind. Yeah. And that's all part of the great interest of Bible study. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, I've I have uh, really appreciated you coming on and talking to me. I've uh, talking Very to much. us. Um, this has been great. I I love learning, and uh, I'm also that guy who um, my family hated me because I actually like being corrected. Because like if <laughs> I'm saying if you. if I'm saying something because that means that I would think the same thing. Like oh, they want to be smarter next time, right? Like if if I misspeak and someone says oh hey actually this is what what word you meant to use. I like that because I don't have to make the mistake again. And mm -hmm. so of course my family got mad at me when I would help them the way I wanted to be helped. <laughs> um, but no, I really appreciate uh, what you've done in the corrections and the misconceptions. Yeah. Um, uh, before we wrap up, um, I don't know if you've noticed this about the world, but the last two years have been majorly depressing to people. And so when we rebooted this show from what it was before into what it is now, uh, we decided that this was going to be a show of hope. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a show that, and, and uh, honestly, my, the greatest hope uh, 
that you can mention is mentioned a lot and I love it. Uh, but what we like to ask our guests before they leave is what's something that's going on in your life right now, or it could be global, local, whatever, what gives you hope to carry on and motivates you to do what you're, what you're doing? Yeah. I always think of that verse, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And when I struggle with sin, which I do every day, and when I struggle with doubt, which I would not say is every day, but right. happens because I'm a sinner, I'm fallen and finite. And it's difficult, increasingly difficult to live in a world, a secular world in which everybody around you is constantly telling you um, that not only is what you believe false, but like needless, why are you skipping the NFL pregame show? There's no good reason for that, you know, on <laughs> Sunday mornings. Um, I just cling to Christ <clears throat> And in all these debates about his word, which, you know, it, to me are so sad. Like, why do we have to be debating about this? It, I wish none of my work were needful. I wish. Um, I just I just have to cling to his word. And his word gives me hope. In my life, I'll give two answers. In my life, um, my church closed, and I was the assistant pastor, and I had only just been ordained not that long previously. And yes, that was discouraging. And uh, thankfully, praise the Lord, we didn't have a big blow up. You know, um, it was a mutual uh, agreement. Everybody realized, okay, the Lord has brought this to a close. But we didn't know exactly where we were going to go. And the Lord just landed us in a church where we immediately fit very well and have godly friends that are encouraging us in our child rearing and um, coming alongside us for fun activities and um, wanting to use the gifts such as they are that the Lord has given to us. So um, in my life right now, that's something I'm deriving a lot of comfort from that yeah. the Lord, you know, it's not fun. Your church died. This is one of the reasons we yeah. came out to Washington State yet the Lord had something good in store for us. And practically speaking, that's a reason I have a great hope right now. Awesome. That's great. Well, we really appreciate you coming on and um, I'm going to have to buy more books of yours because I'm, I'm cause you, you said there was going to be a, there was a follow-up to authorized. Have you finished that book yet? I am struggling to finish that book um, okay. or even start it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, that book is about how can people how can people who haven't studied Hebrew and Greek, which is most Christians, God doesn't call most Christians to study Hebrew and Greek. How can they profitably use multiple English Bible translations? And I've struggled just over the right angles here, um, but I have it as a life goal. But I do have another book coming out. Lord willing, I'm going to finish it in the next couple months. Um, <laughs> it's actually going to be a summing up of um, kind of gathering together some of my YouTube content on false friends. And uh, the provisional title, I do have a contract for it with Lexham Press, the same publisher of Authorized. It's going to be called um, King James Words You Don't Know You Don't Know. It'll be focused hmm. on false friends. All awesome. right. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Sign me up for that <laughs> one. Out. For sure. Um, but yeah, I, I do want to let people know where to find you. Um, like I said, in the description, if you scroll down, you can find um, on the video, you can find a link to his book. So you can buy that and read that yourself. Um, if you want to follow him on Twitter, he's at ML Ward. Um, I, I went to your YouTube and and I I don't, I don't do you have a I don't know if you have a specialized URL, but I know that if you go to YouTube and type in ML Ward 038, you can find his channel. Yeah, or just Mark Ward King James and ignore the people attacking me, please, until you <laughs> watch a couple of my videos. There was one for a long time that said 
fake scholar Mark Ward exposed. That one's right. gone for some reason now, but yeah. <laughs> YouTube is and, a big place to find me. I, I don't tweet very much. It's really just like book reviews that I tweet. You know, right. my dad used to tell me that if you weren't upsetting people, you probably weren't making an impact on the world. So then I'm making an impact on the world because people are very upset. <laughs> right. There you go. Take heart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and also you, you have website, uh, a website by faith. We understand.com. Yes. Um, is there anything else you want people to find? Yeah. I mean, uh, I encourage people to check out Bible study magazine of which I'm the editor and I do write, uh, regularly. Again, I used to write much more regularly. I'm getting back into it for the Logos Bible software blog slash logos. You can say either one. Um, those are the places <laughs> to find me. But if you're interested in this topic, then my book authorized the use and misuse of the King James Bible is um, important. And then my YouTube channel. And I basically give away almost all the content of this book for free on that YouTube channel. So if you don't have the money, but you do have YouTube, just watch the videos. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate you. I honestly want to pick your brain about so many other things, but you know, it's the middle of a work day. We've got stuff <laughs> right. <laughs> thank you guys. So, so uh, we'll, we'll let you go, but uh, yeah. we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. See ya. All awesome. right. I had fun. All yeah, right. So for the rest of you people, what do we have coming up in the future? We've got some some interesting shows coming up. You know, we like to mix it up. Um, next week, we have Siren Warner coming on the show. Siren Warner is an independent journalist who is trying to take down a cult out that came out of Alaska called The Body. Yes. I've been um, looking forward to this one for you guys know I'm really interested in cults. So. <laughs> uh, but he he's taken to extreme measures to get this cult put on the map, going so far as to call in a death threat to uh, I think it was Mitch McConnell. It was yeah, it was get, Mitch McConnell to to get the FBI to start looking at this cult. So that's what we're doing next week. Um, then it's the last of the month episode where we have a friend on and just chat about whatever. Let we get to vent. We get to talk to you a little bit more. Uh, so Monica Perez is coming back hey. after that. Um, following Monica, we have a really I don't know if you've ever heard of the the metal band Sleep. Um, it's a like a stoner metal band from I think they started in the 90s. But the guitar, the original guitarist for the band was named Justin Marler. And right after right after they did their first album and they were starting to become famous, um, he left the band and he went to a an Orthodox monastery and became a monk a monk for That's eight right. years. And so we're going to be talking to Justin about um, music, about his time in a monastery, what he's what he's done, what he believes now. I'm very excited about that. And then finally, week after that, because I always tell you what's coming up for the whole month, we have our friend Hex coming on. Hex, I found out the other day, and I immediately said, hey, come on our show. He was raised um, in the um, Nation of Islam, so Farrakhan, um, what's it, uh, Malcolm X before he defected, et cetera. And I've never met someone who was a part of the Nation of Islam. And so we're going to have that conversation. We're going to talk about what he did, how his family life was, how they view the world. And I'm excited about that. You look like you had something to say. I was going to say, well, I have met members of the Nation of Islam, but they're usually a guy standing on the street with a sign screaming <laughs> at me. So <laughs> hasn't been much of an interchange there. I'm looking forward to hearing, having a more... Uh, calm conversation. With oh, whoever. for sure. Yeah. 
So beyond that, I've got to tell you where you can find us and all of that. So if you're watching, you can listen on any podcatcher. Um, mm -hmm. Or you can go directly to our website, wearethemadones.com. If you're listening, you can watch us have these conversations and notice how bald my head is. So mm -hmm. you can do that at youtube.com slash themadones. You can also search for us on Odyssey and on Rockfin for that. If you want a shirt, a mug, uh, go to wearethemadones.com slash store. I'm on Twitter at hamcarlis. Jessica's on Twitter at soupcanarchist. Um, what am I missing? I think that's all the things, isn't it? Um, follow our Twitter. We are the mad. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get that much traffic. We're trying to build it up a little bit. So if you're on Twitter, yeah. follow We They're Mad. Hit, uh, don't forget to hit subscribe, like, leave comments. Um, just help us kind of get bumped up in the YouTube al algorithm. Much appreciated. I, I think I think that's all I need to yeah. to tell them. I think yeah. that's the long and the short of it. All right. Sure so with that, dear listeners. As always, you have a chance to be a light in the world, so go light it up.